Welcome, glad you're here. So we are in 2 Timothy 2. Um, it's Super Bowl Sunday, if you guys have been asleep. Um, I just thought I'd let you know. Um, it's Super Bowl Sunday, and there's a lot of talk right now. Like, if you turn on the TV, like, every station is talking about the Super Bowl. And if they're not talking about the Super Bowl, they're talking about the commercials that will be in the Super Bowl. Because some people just do that. They don't even want to watch the game. It's like, you know, I'm going to go eat chips and Fritos and junk and, you know, bacon-wrapped pizzas and that kind of stuff while the game's on. But then I'm going to come back and watch the commercials and then go back. And then in the fourth quarter, if it's close, I'll come back and watch the end. That's kind of... You know, some people's game-watching thing. Uh, some people not watching at all, which is fine. Um, maybe it is a huge waste of time. I don't know. Um, and, but what I want to look at this morning is the fact that talk is powerful. Talk is powerful. Words are very powerful. You know the old adage, sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? Like, actually, words will hurt you. They'll hurt you terribly. Words are painful. They sting and they stick, right? I'd rather just be beaten, heal up and get, get on with my life than to be berated with words because they sit in your mind. You dwell on them. They eat you alive. Sometimes for some people, the rest of their life. That's why we have an entire industry of counselors and psychologists because words have hurt us so badly. And so as we look at God's word, the reason that God gave us a word is because it's who he is. He's trying to communicate us to us what is absolutely vital for us to know. And as we look at this series, in the last days, it's even more important that we know in the last days what God has to say. What really is his word? What isn't his word? And can I just tell you that the church, by and large, has no idea what the Bible says? It's sad. It's sad how many Christians have never read their Bible. They've gone to school, they've read books, they've read history books. Some people have PhDs, and they have read hundreds, if not thousands of books, and they've never read through their own Bible. Not once, from cover to cover. Guys, that, that should scare us a little bit. And I'm not saying, like, legalism, you have to do that. But where's the longing to do that? Because the reason we read all the other books and we get the education and the degrees, the reason we do that is because we think that's valuable to our life. To having a career and safety and those things. And we will do what we value. And so if we're not in God's word, if we're not in it constantly, if it's not our bread of life, like Jesus said, there's a problem with our heart. There's a problem that, that we don't understand that in the last days, that if we don't know God's word, we're going to be people that are easily deceived. How do you know I'm not deceiving you? How do you know that for the last however many years I've been preaching, for the last however many years that I've been talking to you, how do you know that I am not a crazy person, that my word is actually trustworthy? And you could say, well, you know, we look at your life. You don't look at my life. You don't know what I do in the secret moments. You don't know what my thoughts are in my head. How can you trust my words? How can you trust anyone's words? Because right now we have political drama all over the place and people doing nothing. Do you realize that the news now is nothing but people arguing about words? That's all it is. They get a news person up. They get three other people in a panel and windows on your screen, typically four windows or six. They try to keep it even or two, right? Because it's hard to do an odd window with one guy that's stretched out and elongated and two small ones at the bottom. So they always do even numbers in the screen and all they do is argue with one another and we love it. We sit and eat that up. And yeah, there's, oh yeah. And God is like, 
you eat that up, but you don't care what I have to say. And my word, can I just tell you that this is one of my passions in life, is, is the word of God. Because I grew up in church going for 18 years, hearing God's word, hearing the Bible, and never, ever embracing it. Never reading it hardly on my own. Reading it in church, reading it in Sunday school, but never really understanding the power of the word of God. And so this morning, as we look at what Paul was writing to this young man, Timothy, he's writing God's word to him. He's writing scripture to him. This is God's word. God preserved it for us. That the words that we have, people studied and looked at them to be sure they were God's words, which is why we have them. And then some other letters or things that were written, they decided not to give those to us because there may have been some wrong things in there. This is God's word. We're talking about the ruler of the universe. Listen, if you got a president or you got a, a word, a letter, a phone call from the president of the United States, most of you would probably throw it away or hang up because you thought that's not really him. Regardless of who the president is, go back 20 years and if that's the president you like, fine, then he's going to call you if you don't like this one. I'm just saying, if, they, if you got a call from someone super important that meant something, you would want to find out, was that really them? Do I need to return the, what do I do with that, right? But when it comes to God's word, I think the problem that we've got is we wonder if it's really the truth. Can we really trust it? Or do I just kind of go by feeling and what my own head says? And can, can I really trust God at his word? Because I can't trust anybody else at their word. Because we all break our word. And we have to ask for forgiveness and grace. So when you think about this idea of a word of truth, and can I just tell you, the reason that we have so many religions, listen, tune in, is because men have said, I have a word from God. Buddha had a word from God. Muhammad had a word from God. They had a word from somewhere to trust, to believe in. Every religion ties back to someone or a group of someone's deciding that they heard from God. Now, can I just tell you, if that's true, wow. But if it's not, they're nuts. And so the way we solve it in our culture, pretty simply is, we don't read any of the words that are put out there. We don't read the Upanishads. We don't read the Quran. We don't read the Bible. We don't read any of the ancient writings of what these people actually wrote down that they said they believed. And then we say they all mean the same thing. All paths lead to the same place. All those books, they basically say the same stuff. And so we can just, you know, they're all the word of God. And they are absolutely contradictory to one another if you actually read them. They say completely different things. Now, is there a basic moral law that's there? Well, sure, you can't sell things to people to say, hey, come follow me and let's kill everybody together. That doesn't work. But it does work to say, hey, come follow me and I'll teach you which people I want you to kill and which ones we're going to not kill. Oh, and you're not one I'm going to kill, which means me and you are good because we're together with our God. 
See, we are so easily deceived. And so when Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, he's laying for him saying, I'm getting ready to die. I'm getting ready to be executed. And in my last days, Timothy, you have got to be focused on what God's word is. Do not be deceived. Do not get led astray by some person running around saying they have a word from God. And the church today is full of that garbage. And we will listen to it and shake our head. Oh, that just... That sounds wonderful. I don't care. What, what does the actual word say that God wrote down? You know, that people died and got martyred for so we could have it, number one, and number two, have it in our language. There are people that were slaughtered, burned at the stake because they thought it was important that you and I not be deceived. They're going to obey what Paul writes to Timothy right here and give their life to be sure you can hear from God. And there was nothing in it for them. When you read the Quran, there's a lot in it for you. Listen, if I was going to follow a religion selfishly, if I was going to pick a religion that worked well for me, the Quran's at the top of my list. Islam is the number one. It gives men all the benefits. You can treat people however you want as soon as you label them an infidel. It, there is no mention of love in the Quran anywhere. None. I don't have to love people. You submit or I get, I get to take you out. It, it, is, it is the perfect religion for men in culture to dominate everyone else. That's horrible. Horrible. But see, I, don't, I know that inside that leaves you empty, that if you live that kind of life, you become an empty person. That you wake up one day and look around and no one loves you. You don't love yourself. You hate your life. And there's no grace for you when you figure it out one day. So regardless of whether Jesus really is who he says he is, which I believe he is who he says he is, when you start to look at the other religions, if you t listen, you don't even have to look at the other religion. You know how the FBI teaches people to spot counterfeit bills? They teach them everything about the real bill. And then when they see one that looks fake, they pause and actually inspect it to see if it's fake because they see a problem because they're so convinced of what the real one looks like, feels like, and everything. They're so convinced of it that when they see another bill that looks a little different cross their path, they immediately pop up and go, I got to see if this is the real deal. And so often we're spending most of our time watching the news, not in our Bibles, but trying to figure out all the other stuff so that we can be smarter than the other guy. When we've got a book that's been passed down for thousands of years that's incredibly accurate, that if you throw out the Bible as being true, you have to throw out every ancient manuscript we have. All the Roman historians get thrown out. Shakespeare, gone. The Greek historians, the Iliad, gone. Because we don't have as many copies. We don't have as many accurate depictions. We don't, they're different when you get the different translations. They've changed a lot. When they find ancient manuscripts, they haven't changed much, if at all. In the 1950s, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Young boy was throwing a rock. He threw a rock into a cave like boys do. Like, I'm going to make it in this cave. And he heard a pot shatter. He walked into the cave, and in the cave they found that there was a group of people that had 
hidden scrolls, ancient scrolls in this cave, and it was the perfect environment for them to last on parchment. And as they began to look at these scrolls, it was the news media history of the world. And everyone said, finally, we're going to show that the Bible is like telephone, passed down from generation to generation. We're going to get to see how much it's changed because these are some of the most ancient Hebrew manuscripts we've ever found. This is going to be awesome. They started translating them, and within a decade, they stopped translating them. Why do you think they stopped translating the Dead Sea Scrolls? Because they were incredibly accurate. And the scholars are like, what's the point of continuing to translate these dumb scrolls when they just tell us what we already have? Let's move on and find another word of God that fits what we want. And so now it's been more seminaries and Christians that have tried to get their hands on those scrolls to be able to translate them and do the work to show and prove the accuracy of Scripture. But see, you're not going to hear that in your history classes because we live in a world that doesn't want you to believe God's word. What was the original lie that Satan told Adam and Eve? Did God... Did he really say? Is that really what he meant? Did God really say? And we're sitting around going, I, I really don't know. Have you, do, you, do you read your Bible? No. But I'm just trying to figure out what God says. Well, when you... When you read your Bible, how do you try to figure out what he says? Well, I typically just flop it open and point, and then it's, that's what God says to me. That is terrible scholarship, right? Can you imagine doing that? I mean, that's like saying, I'm going to go to the grocery, and I pull out the list and point to one thing, get at the grocery, come home and go, here you go, honey, I, got, I went to the grocery for you. And there's like, we're, there's a whole nother, there's other stuff on the list. And well, yeah, but I got one, see, for you. That was, aren't you happy? Well, yeah, I'm glad you got that item, but like that's not how this works. I communicated something to you important. And then what we do with the Bible too, are you ready for this? Is in our culture, we've done this subtle twist of the Bible. It's, it's a kind of, our enemy's done a really cool twist. What he's done is he's taken the book, he's taken the scripture, and he's made it an academic truth book. He's taken the scriptures and turned it so that what we really look for is what's right so I can prove someone else wrong and we completely miss the heart of God in the book. I know this is true and I've shared this before, but every summer when I go and I teach at the youth camp that we're telling, inviting you, your students to come to and Brian and I will be there at that time and I teach at that camp every summer. It's one of my favorite things to do and I typically have high school juniors or seniors and when they're sitting in a room, typically 20 to 30 students and I ask them, how many of you know you should read your Bible and have a quiet time? Every kid raises their hand in the room. Everyone. And then when I ask them the next question, how many of you have ever been taught how to have a quiet time and really find the heart of God? Two kids to three kids. Three's the max that has ever raised their hand in that room. Three. Why? Because I haven't been taught how to read for God. I've been taught how to read so they do, 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 do. Which then just leaves you empty because you're like, it's not a relationship. He's not, a, he's not real. This book isn't alive. It's just another thing to tell you what to do, just like the Quran or the Upanishads or, or whatever other book I grab onto. And in heaven, God is shaking his head, brokenhearted, saying, I gave you my heart. Let's dive in. He says this. 
2 Timothy 2.14. Paul's given him a bunch of the doctrine and we looked through that. He's talking about how to remain faithful and how to raise up faithful people. That's what he says right before this. You got to raise up faithful men. And then right after he says all that, he says you have to remind them of these things. What things? Well, he just talked about before that, about the resurrection, death, burial, or the resurrection, or the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the line of David. Basically, he says all the scriptures that point to Jesus because the whole Bible points to Jesus. So he says, remind them of that. Do you realize that in most churches today, kids are hearing Bible study lessons or Sunday school lessons about how to be a good person? In the majority of churches. Can I just tell you, that's not our book. Our book tells us that we can't be good people. We're awful. (laughs) We need help. That we can't muster up enough self-willpower to make something happen. We've got to learn to surrender to Christ. Now, are there laws and boundaries and things? Absolutely. Are they good? Absolutely. But you don't have the power to do them unless you just surrender to Christ. And so in the midst of in many churches, we're not even talking about reminding them that the law of the Old Testament points to Jesus. We want to fight to have ten commandments listed at state capitals and, and buildings. And we're fighting for these rules to be listed when most of the time the rules are just there and we don't even think about the heart of God behind it. Why do you think God doesn't want you? Why do you think God doesn't want you to steal? Why do you think he doesn't want you to covet or want other people's stuff? Why do you think he doesn't want you to commit adultery? Why? See, that's the issue. All the other religions... Don't answer why. They tell you what to do. Christianity is the religion that just constantly digs at our, at our why, at our heart. Constantly reminds us of what's really true about God and ourselves, good and bad. And it just keeps digging. It keeps, look at this, charging us. Because he says, charge, charging them before God not to fight about words. And you go, well, wait a minute. You're telling us we need to know the word of God, but... We're not supposed to fight about words. This is in no way profitable and leads to the ruin of the hearers. What Paul is talking about is, these are people that won't accept God for his word. Right? So it's like, well, I think it means this. Well, I think it means this. And I think it means this. Well, I think it means this. Instead of saying, well, what does God's word say it means? I'd like to know what God's word says. That's great you think that. It's great I think that. Let's open and try to find if we can find in the Bible. And let's not make any rash decisions to do crazy stuff till we really figure out if we're supposed to do it from the scriptures. But see, we don't do that. It's whoever has the best argument. That's how our legal system's almost set up, right? Whoever can come up with the best argument gets away with it. And that's where we're at, and we've bought into it. It's like debate. God's word is God's word. It's true. Are there hard things? Yes. This week I'm sitting in our pastor's gathering on Wednesday morning. And this is something we teach in our membership class. We teach conviction, persuasion, and opinion levels of belief in God's word or in truth. And and this is a statement I came up with about nine years ago as I tried to think through how do we have relationships with people? How in the church do we not fight about words but we stand for the word of God? And here's what I said to the group. I said, look, You die for your convictions, you teach your persuasions, and you keep your opinions to yourself. That's what God calls us to do. 
What are the conviction level beliefs that if I don't believe these and if I don't hold people to these, their soul, their relationship with God is in jeopardy. My relationship with God is in jeopardy. What are those conviction level beliefs? Persuasion level beliefs. What thing because of what God has said in his word am I persuaded to believe and persuaded to practice because of God's character, because of what he says? But maybe someone else is persuaded to do it a little bit differently. Baptism is one of those for me. I don't believe if you're, if you're not baptized by immersion, I don't say you can't be saved. You're going to hell. It, too bad. Because the Bible doesn't say that. Do I believe immersion is the best way to be baptized? Absolutely. Would I baptize someone if they were in a hospital bed and I couldn't immerse them and they begged me to baptize them? Absolutely. I would sprinkle them in their hospital bed. So it's not a conviction level belief for me. I'm very much persuaded to believe it. And I would baptize anyone coming into our church. And here's why I tell them that. And I talked about this when we talked a while back ago about Paul's relationship to Timothy in Acts. And where Paul told Timothy, I'm going to have you be circumcised after he just got back from Jerusalem arguing to the Jews that you shouldn't be circumcising Gentiles. Don't do it. That doesn't make them any better. And circumcision and baptism are kind of the two overlaid things when you see in Scripture, the, the, the mark or the sign that you're a follower. And he says, you're not to command those Gentiles to have to become Jewish. Then he goes back to Timothy and he looks at Timothy and says, we're going to need to circumcise you. Can you imagine Timothy going, well, didn't you just speak God's word and say they didn't have to? And Paul looks at him and it's real simple. He goes, Timothy, we need to circumcise you so that you can minister to more people. Because if you're not circumcised, you won't have the respect of anyone who's a Jew. But if you'll humble yourself to be circumcised, you'll be able to minister to Jews and Gentiles because Gentiles don't care. That's immersion baptism for me. If you're baptized by immersion, the sprinkling people recognize it. But if you're not immersed, the immersion people won't. So why not just humble yourself to be immersed so that you can partner with more of God's people and do more of his work? That's a persuasion level belief. There's a lot of scripture that talks about baptism and immersion and what that means to dip the per All of that's there in scripture. But it's not conviction for me. But I'm going to teach it. Just like there are things in your house you teach differently than our house. There are things in our church that we agree to do that are different than another family. And when those kids come over and your kids look at you and go, they did that. We were never allowed to do that. Why don't you get them? You go, well, because we want to love them and it's just different for them. And I'm not, that's not something we're going to hold them to. But for you, we're going to hold you to that because we're your parents and we're your family. It's the same thing in the church. That doesn't mean you don't have people over. We're never having people over because they don't obey our rules. Bunch of morons. That's not how it works. You have to humble yourself. So the persuasion level beliefs, you don't humble yourself for conviction level beliefs. You fight for them, you die for them. Persuasion level beliefs, you hold those humbly, carefully, confidently, but be sure you're standing in humility when you teach them. And then your opinions, just shut up. No one cares. I just believe the Daniel diet. I think everyone in our church needs to be on the Daniel diet. He never ate meat. It was veggies and 
you get so much healthier and you're cleansed and you do cleansing and it's the Daniel diet. It's God, and if someone's not doing the Daniel, if someone looks chubby, I'm going to tell them you got to do Daniel diet. I mean, that's a conviction level. I don't even know if I can have a relationship. Come in your home. If you're not doing the Daniel diet, it's just offensive to me. There are people like that. You know what diet nobody wants? The John the Baptist diet. It was a great diet. John saw incredible results in his life from his diet. People believed in him. And you know what John the Baptist ate? Locusts and honey. You're like, oh, I like the honey. No, the locusts go with it. You get to dip them. It's great. That was his diet. It's what he lived on. Nobody goes, it's the John the Baptist. Our church, communion, no more bread and wine. It's locusts and honey, baby. It's what we're doing for communion. See, when something works for us, all of a sudden, we want to move it into conviction, and that's where all the problems come. Because we don't know God's word, and we don't know how to have fellowship and relationships if we don't deal with our own heart. And so again, die for the convictions. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. He says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Know the word so that you can prove what's right. That's what approved means. It means proving. You can prove what's true and what's not. And then he says, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed. You don't need to be ashamed of your convictions. You don't need to say, well, I don't, I don't want to have to tell you this, but Jesus is the only way. And I know, oh, I, I don't even want to say that. No, it's, it, Jesus is the only way. It's awesome. It's grace. It's phenomenal. There is no other way. And then he says, correctly teaching the word of truth. There it is. Correctly teaching the word of truth. We should know the word in a way that we know how to correctly teach it. I want to present the word in a way to you that you know how to go out of here and correctly handle it and teach it. It's why we go through the whole scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, prophets, is because I want you to walk away from our church whatever time you've been here and have a love for God in his word, that you see the picture of what he's trying to do. He's trying right now with Paul to show Timothy how much the word matters Paul's like, oh, Timothy, cling to this word. It's so beautiful and wonderful. It tells us who God is. It's so great. And he goes on. He says, but avoid irreverent, empty speech. That's opinion level stuff. That's all those opinions that you have about the way things should be. Just avoid that. Don't, don't, get, don't get mixed up in all that stuff. Tom Brady is not the Antichrist. <laughs> stop it like he's just a football player who doesn't have a clue whether he believes in Jesus or not from what we can gather right and guess what cheaters prosper look around most of what we have is cheating right he goes on and he says for this will produce an even greater measure of godlessness. <laughs> Timothy, if you, wanna, if you really want to know God deeply and you want other people to know him deeply, man, focus on the conviction level beliefs. And as a leader, as someone who's leading or trying to help people, know what you believe about the hard to believe things in scripture, the persuasions that are there. But he looks at him and he says, dude, leave the opinions out because it will spread, look at this, like gangrene. You know the only way to get rid of gangrene? Even still today, in our wonderful medical culture and all the smarts we have, you know the only way to get rid of gangrene? Cut it off before it kills the rest of the body. 
You cut off those conversations. You will not ever hear me from this stage taking a political party position. I will take a biblical position, and sometimes one party has that and the other doesn't. But you won't hear me from the stage saying, this is the politics we need to support so we can all be safe and secure and wonderful. Because last time I checked, there's not going to be like an American, United States of America section of heaven, right? There's not going to be a section like for the United States of America over here. Not going to happen. Last time I checked, God says that whenever people, human beings, get together to decide what's true and right and make laws and like vote, it ends badly. Through all of scripture, anytime the people decided to take a vote, it ended badly for God's people. And we set a whole culture up on that. Now, do I, do I hate my culture? Do I hate my country? No, God called me to be here. He asked me to submit to the rules and authorities. He asked me to stand up in conviction to them and have humility on what I'm persuaded to believe. But be careful with your opinions. And that's what he's saying. He goes, you got Hymenaeus and Philetus who are among them. They're, they're just spreading gangrene everywhere. Stop. He goes on, he says, they've deviated from the truth, saying that the resurrection's already taken place and they're overturning the faith of people. In other words, they're not putting their faith in God anymore. They're putting their faith in Hymenaeus and Philetus. Put your faith in me. This week, we were talking about a radio personality, staff meeting on Friday. One of the popular radio personalities of our time, you would know the person if I said it, so I'm not going to say it. One of the popular radio personalities has raised up other personalities through their organization. And these other personalities now call themselves a personality of this person. I'm a fill in the name, Bob. I'm, I'm a Bob personality. That's scary. This, this person actually says they're a Christian and they're not stopping this. That concerns me. I, I, if somebody, Jason said, yeah, we're all now shockingly personalities. That's who, that's who we are, the staff team. It's Brian Hillard says, I'm, I'm a shockingly personality. Shockingly ministries, we're gonna put it up. You can buy my books, funnel all of it through the side of the church, all for the kingdom and the love of God. No. If I do anything, it's in the church's name. And isn't it sad that those guys that are putting it in their own ministry's names, do you think they're taking a sabbatical to write those books so that they don't do it on church time? Or do you think they're writing on church time, they're already getting a salary and getting paid for and then selling their book for an additional amount? Ooh, that's messy. Yeah, that's the word of God. What's true and you should not be saying you're a personality of another person. You should be saying that I want the Lord Jesus Christ. And these guys were upsetting because they're saying, oh, that resurrection thing, you're already resurrected. You can already have your best life now. You're already okay. No need to suffer. It's going to be, come follow us. Paul, he talks about hurting and suffering, going to bad people and trying to help them. We want you to have a great Roman Empire life. He goes on, he says this. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. That's his word. Having this inscription, that's the word. An inscription is an actual word of God. This comes from, most likely, there's a couple of places this could come from. But the, the scriptures that this comes from, is there's a scripture in uh, Numbers, there's one in Isaiah and Jude, where this kind of wording comes from. The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who names the name of the Lord must turn away from unrighteousness. 
Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver bowls, but also those of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument, set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Paul's saying, look, you got to look for the people who get this, and you're going to spot them. It's not hard to see, because you're going to see, do they believe that they're, they're humble and that it's God's house, not my house? Do they look and they say, man, I'm nothing? Well, God takes the people that believe they're nothing and he makes them into silver and gold. He purifies them. But if you think you're silver and gold, be careful. Because those are the people in scripture, God's like, oh boy, you don't get it. Watch the pride. And he looks, he says, in God's house. And what he's saying is sitting even in this audience, there are people who think they're saved. They've named the name of the Lord, but they have not dealt with their heart. They've not allowed God to be right because that's what unrighteousness means. It means you won't let God be right. That's the definition of the word. Versus saying, God, you're right. And if you're struggling with sin, that's okay. You can come before God and say, God, I'm wrong again. I'm not right again. And I know you make me right. And I know you're right. And so I come to you over and over. And we talked about that last week with grace. That's what he's saying here. He's not asking you to go, man, I'm just a wood vessel. I'm nothing. I'm a loser. I can't do anything. That is wrong. He's looking and he's saying, look, look at your heart. And if you have a heart for God, you're going to want to do what's right. What's the most right thing that we can do? Read the Bible. <laughs> you don't know what the next thing to do is if you don't read the book. That's like going to the professor and saying, what's going to be on the test? It's in the book. No, 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 no. Like, could you give me the answers? Please, like, really, I just want to fill in the blank and then, and then bring that with me to the test so I can fill in the blank of the same test you gave me because that's, that's how it works, right? You're a loving professor. You're a loving teacher. You just have grace on me because I'm a moron. I don't study. I don't read. I play video games. And you're just going to give me the test. I'm going to walk in open it. There we go. God's like, that's not how it works. I want to help you grow and think and learn. He goes on and he says, Flee from youthful passions. This is a young man. Timothy's young at this point, probably in his early 20s. And he's looking at him, he goes, Timothy, look, I, I know there's things you want to say. You have these opinions that you need, but you also have these youthful passions that you need to just get, do away with them. We are a culture of youthful passions. That's why we have the little blue pill. <laughs> it is the definition of a culture of passion. I can't say no to that. I mean, I was created to have sex and enjoy that. I could never not do it. Really. Because there are people in the Bible, God talks about being eunuchs and chose to be eunuchs. Because they wanted to honor God. I mean, we look at this, he's like, look, you have youthful passions. That passion is good when you're young, but as you get, you got to leave those behind. And he says, pursue what's right. How do we know what's right? What God says, have faith. How do we know what to put our faith in? Because of what we found out that was right from God's word. Have love. How do we know how to love people? Because he tells us what's right. We place our faith in him and then we can love people and not expect them to respond a certain way. How do we know what, and peace. And if you do those things, you'll have a deep peace that surpasses any worldly peace you could find. 
along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. In other words, you can't do it alone. You're going to need other people to help you do this, Timothy, because you're young. You're going to need some other people. And then he says, look, but reject foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they breed quarrels. He says there are, there are foolish and there are dumb questions. <laughs> there are foolish and ignorant disputes that you just need to not let people go there. Now you're to die for the convictions, which is what we're going to see, because then he says, look at this. The Lord's slave must not quarrel, but be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient instructing his opponents with gentleness. It doesn't say you just roll over and play dead. It says you need to instruct them. But do it with humility, with confidence, but gently. And then he goes on, he says, perhaps, maybe God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, the word of truth. Maybe God will allow them to see through your effort. But it also means that he might not allow them to see. They may not see, but you're still responsible. And then he says, then they may come to their senses and escape the devil's trap. Whenever I read that, I don't know about you, like that verse, I always think of that song, I'm caught in a trap, I can't hold, like Elvis. Do you guys, you don't know that song? Okay. I had Elvis 8-track, greatest hits, when I was, it was, I had three 8-tracks in my first car. Yes, I had an 8-track player in my first car. It was awesome. And I had an 8-track player with a cassette adapter in it, and then a cassette CD adapter inside that. It stuck out from my dash, and I could put my CD player Velcroed on the top. It was like the coolest contraption ever, right? But I had three working 8-tracks. I had Sticks, their first album, Aerosmith, Aerosmith, their first album, and I had Elvis's Greatest Hits. And I always loved playing Elvis's Greatest Hits when my friends got in the car. Because they hated it. It was just like, woohoo! So I always think of that. Like, we're caught in a trap. We need someone to tell us what's right. The problem is, when, we, when someone actually typically tells us the truth about what's right, the Bible tells us what right, what's right, and it normally doesn't work out well for us. <laughs> so we want to ignore the Bible and find a religion that works well for us. Because that Bible one tells me i got to like lay my life down and die and suffer and like give my life to him. And then I have to trust him for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That I can't like manipulate to get those things. I have to like live for God the right way and expect him to provide those things. Yeah, I'd like to be Buddhist. <laughs> I'd like another religion than that one. I want a religion that puts me in charge of my work so I can stand before God and stand before others and go, I'm awesome. You want to be a shockney personality. Come on, let's do it. And that's where all these religions come from. Isn't it amazing that Jesus never, listen, if you read the words of Christ, he always pointed people to who? His father. Did he point people to himself, but always in the context of getting to the Father? It wasn't about him. It was about the Trinity, the family of God together. He goes on. He says this, but know this. I love this in chapter 3. So he's giving them all these. He's saying, Timothy, this, all this. And then he says, but you got to know this, Timothy. Difficult times will come in the last days. It doesn't say they might. It doesn't say... Well, because you messed up and didn't teach right. He said, no, it, difficult times are going to come. Can we admit that we're in difficult times right now? I'm going to get a little political, but I'm not going to get political as in a party. I'm going to get political as in what happened this week. You had a governor 
a governor who, set, who legalized and is encouraging infanticide. In other words, that you can kill a child even after it's born if that woman doesn't want it for her right to choose. And he's going to have to resign because of a picture 35 years ago in a school yearbook of him having a black face. That's what's going to have to make him resign. Think about that for a minute. A guy 35 years ago who had youthful passions and was an idiot. My goodness, I hope they don't pull out my yearbook. Oh my, talk to my peers. That's going to be bad for me. They went back 35 years to find a, he put on a black face and, oh, he's got to be fired. But he can kill infants coming out of the womb and actually sign laws and we celebrate that. We're going to clap in the New York chamber and say, yay, yay, yay. We have come to a place where we've defined what's right by what we choose to be right. And God in heaven, is, his heart is breaking. And, and, and Jesus Christ is literally, according to scripture, holding back the wrath of the Father so that more of us have more time to tell people and so that we can be changed. That's what scripture says. That Jesus is like, don't kill them yet, Dad. I know it's bad. They're killing their own children. Give them a, let's, let's continue to try to reach them. Difficult times are coming, folks. Many of you are in occupations that you are just a few years away that if you claim that the, that the scripture is true and that you have conviction level belief, you will probably lose your career. Career. Everything you built is going to be taken. We are very close to that. There are already people it's happening to. There are professors that are losing their jobs left and right because they're taking a stand. They're having to go to the Supreme Court with lawsuits just to be able to be right. But you know what happens after you take your school to the Supreme Court when you go to get hired at the next school? Doesn't matter how right you are, they're not hiring you. He goes on, he says, for people will be lovers self what I want what I choose you can't tell me there'll be lovers of money well you want to choose what you want to choose because you want to be safe and secure and you don't want to have to live a life of hardship or difficulty it's money boastful I can do what I want proud blasphemers disobedient to parents holy smokes is that in our culture Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. They refuse to get along no matter what. They're going to slander each other. They're going to have no control. They're going to be brutal without love for what's good. They're going to be traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They're going to, and here's the key. You read all that and you're thinking, oh yeah, those awful people. And then Paul spins it on Timothy and he says, Timothy, remember, I'm writing to you to how to do your job in the church. They are going to hold to a form of godliness but deny its power. This week, this week, I watched a video of a group of abortion doctors, Christian abortion doctors, that are fighting to keep their careers and to abort children and to give women the right to choose in Christ's name. Christian, I pray for my patients and I love them. I just, I don't, 
They're not broken over having to do it. It's not like every once in a while I have to do an abortion and it kills me to have to try to, as a doctor, make a decision between the life of the mother and the child and it breaks me every time and I weep and I cry out to God. Oh, no, no, no. That's not the conversation. And I look at this and my heart breaks. And what we're doing is we're telling people that they can have a form of Jesus without giving Jesus authority and his word authority in their life. You can add Christ to your life. Listen, I did that three times and I wanted to kill myself at the end of it. Three times I walked the aisle in churches, went to church every Sunday. And at the end of it all, I'm sitting there going, I keep trying to add you to my life, but it's just like, it won't happen. And Jesus is like, because that's not how it works. You surrender, then I come in and start working. That doesn't make you perfect. It just means now you get how the relationship works. You're not the authority, Matt. You don't get to add me and then go do what you want. You surrender to me. You fall on your face, cry out to me. I come in and I start to do my work. And it's easy to hold to a form of godliness and deny its power. You want to know why I know this works? Because this is what the church has been doing for a long time. You'll preach a sermon on Sunday and we'll go out and live the complete opposite the rest of the week. God doesn't have the power to change me. He can't help me. The body of Christ, the church, can't help me. And he says, avoid these people. <laughs> Be careful of the people that portray a Jesus that's powerless for holiness. Be careful of the people that portray a Jesus and leave the convictions behind. There are major pastors. There's a major pastor who's come out recently and said that we don't even need the Old Testament anymore. One of the largest churches in the United States. We don't even need the Old Testament. It's old. We just need the new covenant about Jesus. Didn't Paul just tell Timothy, be sure you teach that he was the son of David? How do you teach he's the son of David if you don't have the Old Testament to show how you got to David and what happened after David? The Bible is beautiful to show God's heart of redemption. He goes on and he says this, for among them are those who worm their way into households. And they capture idle women burdened down with sins along with a variety of passions. You think, wow, that's kind of mean to say that about women. Can I just tell you that women tend to want to be cared for more than men do? <laughs> by nature. So it's easy to get caught by people who act like they care for you to use you. Where us men, we're kind of more prideful and want to fight. It's like, you want to use me? I'll fight you. Maybe I should let you use me, but I'm going to fight you anyway. Like, we just have that nature in us that just, and that's not good or bad. It's not right or wrong. It's just reality. And can I tell you, if you don't believe this is true, ask where TBN gets the majority of their money from in gifts. You know what TBN, that's the Christian broadcasting network that, you watch the crazy preachers on TV, that's TBN. Ask them where the majority of their money comes from. You know where it comes from? Old widows sitting at home that are sad, that are lonely, haven't been taken care of by the church. And they're writing checks and writing their income away to try to feel better. And they're sending their little cards to say, please pray for me. And that pastor, he's, oh, just, I'll send you a prayer hanky. And that prayer hanky, you just lay it on your lap and your leg will get better. And she sends another $100 and another because she doesn't feel loved and cared for and she's been left alone. 
The majority of their money, they can track it. They know how to preach to it. They know how to extort it from older women. Not to mention women live longer. So it's good to extort them because they don't die as soon. He goes on and he says, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. In other words, they want to always learn about God. And they want to learn about the Upanishads and the Quran and all this stuff, but they'll never come to a conviction. They'll never say, this is right and I'll die for it. It's, well, yeah, you believe that. I believe this. We all believe. We all believe. But you won't come to a place where you say, no, I will die for this. And he goes on and he says, just as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. That's an Old Testament story of them fighting against Moses. Men who are corrupt in mind, worthless in regard to the faith, but they will not make their further progress for their lack of understanding will be clear to all as theirs was also. In other words, they're going to eventually be found out. The Jim Bakers of the world, if you don't know who he was, one of the top televangelists, it all came out. Eventually, we're watching pastors fall like crazy right now. Three of the largest churches in the United States have collapsed in the last three years because they had a cult of personality. The guy at the top, everybody was a personality of that guy and they, they all rallied around him and he put people in place that they couldn't challenge him and he was on high and when he finally got exposed for whatever it was, it's just collapsing. It's happening in Chicago right now. And it breaks my heart I don't look at that and think, yeah, get them, God. I look at that and go, my gosh, there are people whose souls are in the middle of that mess. There's a world watching, and it breaks my heart. He goes on and he says, but you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance. Look at those words. He's like, Timothy, you did all this. You followed the conduct, the teaching. Man, you have, been, you have, you have really just strived to want to know God's word and, and like be obedient and humble along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. In other words, you suffered with me. You were there. What persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them, from them all. In fact, all those, look at this, all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will have a paid-for home, a 401K, and you will retire with dignity. All, all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you are going to feel great about yourself. You're going to think the world is at your finger. It's just going to be wonderful for you. Will be persecuted. Not might be, not could be, maybe someday. He says, no, if you actually try to live godly and, and have convictions, people are not going to like that. They're going to hate that. Even if you do it gently and humbly and carefully, lovingly, they're going to look at you and go, no, just like your two-year-old does. You feed them, you change your diaper, you do everything you can. You love this little child, and you're like, now do you want to do this? And they go, no. And then they smack you and run away. And you're like, what just happened? Right there. You're trying to live a godly life, and they're like, I'm going to persecute you. That's, what, that's the way it goes down. And you have a decision to make. Do you just keep giving in to them so that they're deceived and think the world's about them? Or do you have to step in and gently, carefully correct them and get them back on so that they understand what the world really is. John 1.1 1, 1 says this. This is why this word of truth is so important as we wrap up. I'm going to leave you with this passage. It's incredible. 
When John is writing his gospel, this was the, the, the apostle that was closest to Jesus. This was the apostle that, that was at the foot of the cross. When he is writing his gospel about the man that he thinks is God, the man he's given his life to, I mean, that he worships, he says, in the beginning was the word. Do you realize the thing that separates humanity from all other animals, regardless of how you think we got here? We have written word. There's not another species that has written word. Not one. So you can say, well, that's because we evolved. I don't care how you think. That's strange. That we're the only species that has a written word and that words matter and we want to write it down and people to know us. The bird doesn't care if he gives his heritage. He's just trying to feed the little birds with their mouth open and then flies into my window and dies. We write things down to be known, to want to be known. It's in us. It's the image of God. He says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through this Word. And apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. And if you read Genesis, it says God speaks and things happen. He would speak things. God speaks things into existence when you read the Word. And then he says, I love this, life was in him. In other words, there's no life apart from him. And that life was the light of men that shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. Jump to 14, it says, the word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed his glory. This is talking about Jesus, by the way. The glory of the one and only son from the father, full of grace and full of truth. Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Yes! The word of grace and truth to us. That, that's what this is about. So can I encourage you? It's a new year. The other resolutions you tried to do have worn off. You stopped going to the gym last week. You ate ice cream, you know, and you probably ate it big, right? Because when we break a resolution, it's not like we just do a little bit. It's like I'm going and I'm getting the gallon jug, right, because I'm done. Can, can I just encourage you to ask God to help you surrender to him so that his word will become alive in your heart? That you'll long to want to read his word, to know who he is. That you'll look for his heart. You won't read the word and say, what do you want me to do today so I can be blessed? But you'll read the word and you ready for this? You'll just see that having a Bible and reading it is a blessing. That there's a God who loves you, who speaks to you and says, I just want you to know me. And I've given you this incredible letter. And that you'll say, wow. This morning I got a letter from someone who couldn't be at church today. Whenever I get a letter from this person, I always long to read it. Because this person, when they write these letters, they're full of grace and truth and gratitude and love. And when I got that letter this morning, I smiled. I thought, I know what's going to happen when I go home and read this. <laughs> I'm not going to open it like some letters. and going to be like, you're such a stupid pastor. Like, that's not what it's going to say. Because I know the person. I know who wrote it. I know their words and their heart. And so when I open that, which they have said some things to me lovingly before in their letters and I'm grateful for, 
but it's always with this gentle, truthful, like, knife. And when I got that letter, I'm like, wow. And then I thought, I don't write anybody letters. (laughs) I'm terrible. (laughs) See, that's the word of God to you and to I. Let me ask you this. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus in a way that he can help you understand what it says? And have you surrendered yourself to this church in a way that you'll be a part of the family helping you discover it and obey it? If you haven't, man, do it. Because you need it. Because we live in a world where there's a bunch of words of gods out there. and We need to find the true God, the one and only God, and his word that stands beyond all others.